welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle-related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm honored to welcome Dr. Fiona Kerr. We share a passion about the restorative power of quality sleep, and I have such a fascination for Fiona's research into the topic and more. I've enjoyed seeing and listening to Fiona on Catalyst and Insight and radio shows. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you. Hello. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Right. I've got quite an eclectic uh, job, I guess, or a number of jobs. Um, so I've over probably 30 years of being um, in the workplace, more now actually, <laughs> um, I've gone from um, anthropology and, and looking at sort of carver in Fiji to, um, to industrial relations in power stations and coal mines and strategic planning in General Motors and, and in defence, so working in all different kinds of industries and noticing, I guess, some trends in what made people work well together and trends also in specific aspects of leadership. So I got really interested in this um, and I was lucky enough to be in a leadership position a couple of times or a few times myself. So at 50, I thought, right, I really want to get underneath this. I could either work again with one company for a few years or I could start digging out and saying, what is it that makes people flourish? because that's what I saw in those positive um, organisations. And I've lived in a number of countries, and I noticed that some tended to have a different attitude towards flourishment and well-being um, than others as well. So that was really interesting. I guess that was my anthropology part. So I went back to university and ended up doing a PhD. And I started with engineering, looking at um, organisations as complex, chaotic systems, uh, human systems. But what got, and, and that's, it's a very valuable thing to, to understand sort of complex systems uh, methodology. But what was really fascinating was it drew me into, okay, but are these kind of leaders and these kind of positive people different? Um, and are their brains different? And it turns out, yes, they are. And it got into the, the really interesting area of can you change your brain? Yes, you can. Can you grow your brain? Yes, you can. And can you do it at different times? We know that we do it at some times. We do it in the ninth month of gestation. We do it in the first two years very much. We change our brains again. We prune them a lot as adolescents. But we can actually build new brain at any age. And that, to me, neurogenesis, that became fascinating to me. So I got hauled off into, <laughs> into the area of social cognitive neuroscience. Mm. And so... That spark, that, what was the thing that piqued your interest in the role of sleep and building new brain and that right. research? Yes. So sleep, If the really easy way to think about how do we build new brain um, is there's a number of things that, that assist us. So one of the things that helps is human interconnection, so direct interaction with other people because it sets off things like spindle and mirror neurons. It sets off 
um, chemicals in your body around all sorts of things to do with oxytocin and the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and it floods you full of kind of chemicals that if you are getting on positively with other people can start you building new ideas and, and actually building a new brain. A second way to do it is to uh, to exercise, to uh, to move, because apart from oxygen and glucose, we actually get something called BDNF, which is like a fertilizer for building new brains. So if you've ever been someone who's gone out and had a walk whenever you've had to think about something and you've it's clicked and you've gone, ah, that's what I'll do. That's one of the reasons because you're 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 building um, these synaptic connections because of the sort of chemicals that you get enriching you. And the third thing to think about is novelty. So learn new things. And an easy way to think about that is you have to have a new part of, of the, the real estate, if you like, to put that new chunk of, <laughs> of information. So that's interconnection, exercise and, um, and novelty. But the fourth thing is sleep. And sleep is really critical, especially the later hours of sleep. Um, and it's because of what sleep does. It's because of the role that sleep performs for us as human beings. So I can tell you that if you like. Mm, I would love to know more about that. Right. So the main way or the easy way to think about it is as you're sleeping, you go through a number of cycles of sleep and they're probably between, depending on the person themselves, between about one and a half and two hours each. So you get, hopefully, um, three to six cycles of sleep a night. And when you're sleeping um, more than sort of the six hours, then you're, you're getting quite enriched REM sleep. But if we, we take it from the beginning, uh, the first few cycles, so those first sort of five or six hours, are, are the brain cleaning up. So what they're doing is, is it's maintenance. So you have things like glial cells that come and clean the plaque off the neurons. You have all sorts of things happening in those first few um, hours. And you have very little in the way of what's called REM sleep. So REM cycles um, that do a different thing. So you get more and more REM sleep the longer uh, in the later cycles. So after your brain has cleaned up, what it then does is it goes into something called pre-REM 2. And that is where the brain takes all the information that's sitting in sort of short and midterm memory and it starts to file it. It starts to say, okay, this bit's about X and we'll put that in that file and that bit's about Y. And so if you think about that, what you're actually doing is turning the data that you've, you've collected, the information that you've collected into learning. That's where you bed it in. So it's quite important to be able to do that. And then once you've done that, your, your brain's worked and now it wants to play because it's done its housework, it's done its filing, and now it's going to have some fun. So what you do in REM is you start to almost take things back out of those kind of nice orderly files and you start to sort of cross them across each other and you start to make new pictures. So that's where you get that creativity and that the new way of thinking about things. One of the main reasons you can do that is because when you're in REM cycle sleep, the frontal lobe is where you have your, I guess, your logic policeman, if you like. That's where the reasoning and the... Um, the logical rules and regulations around you cannot fly or other things we do, walk through a wall, the kinds of things that you do in dreams that are completely impossible. Um, well, that frontal lobe is is shut down. It's, it's turned um, into the background. So it's not reminding you. It's not correcting you. So your brain can go wherever it likes. And it's why you have such 
in interesting dreams. It's why you do things in REM sleep that, or you, uh, you dream things in REM sleep that, that you can't do. And it's also why you get those really interesting, creative new ideas, because it makes all of those normal connections impossible. And as we know, our innovations and our creative ideas, our inventions come from sort of connecting up two things which are quite normal by themselves, but you look at them in a new way. That's very much how those leaps happen. Um, so you do a number of things over that sleep. But what that also means is if you don't have that later sleep, if you only sleep a few hours a night, then your brain doesn't get to play very much. So for those entrepreneurs who are burning the candle at both ends and not getting to get that REM sleep, they're actually shortchanging themselves in creativity. Is that right? Yes, that, that is. That's right. And we're, I guess we're built for, um, for actually a couple of sleeps, which is another aspect to think about. So what they might be doing, what some of those entrepreneurs might be doing, is at least they might be having a midday nap. <laughs> um, now, it doesn't actually replace um, the, the cyclic nature of, of your major sleep, but it certainly helps. Um, because we're what's called biphasic animals. So all that means is we're built for two sleeps a day. So we have our major sleep at night where we go through those those kind of long cycles. And then I don't know if you've ever felt tired, you know, that kind of just after lunch sort of really dull period. Um, yes, it's partly because of the food that you eat, and we can talk about that too. But the thing that's really interesting is – we have two cycles that happen in our bodies. One is the homeostatic cycle and one is the circadian rhythm. And they are almost antagonistic towards each other over the 24-hour period. One's kind of pulling you to sleep and one's pulling you to wake. But the period that they align beautifully is in the middle of the day. So those typical traditional times where you have the siesta, mm. um, the sort of you know one to three or two to four that's when they're completely aligned and it's when you should sleep because that's what we're, we're supposed to do. And, and again, an easy way to think about that is when we're going through our day, we have different – the way that memory works is we have an in, almost like an inbox which you take in all of the stimuli that you're dealing with in the morning and you're just putting it in here into this kind of short filing system so that you're holding it. It's your definite in-file and that gets cluttered up. And if you just keep doing that all day, your inbox just gets more and more and more full and you're contending with all of this information, all this data. So what a nap allows you to do is it clears the inbox and it allows it to shift over into different kind of holdings of memory, awaiting that kind of night sleep. Um, and so it's very much a case of, you know, refreshing, if you like. Um, and, and there's different lengths of naps as well. So... If you want just to be alert, and well, actually, there's a number of things. If you want an increase in a number of different things, uh, which are an increase in cognitive function, an increase in memory, to be more alert, to have a little bit better perception, and for your mood to go up again, and also for your motor skills to improve, then you have the, I guess, the normal power nap of between about 10 and, and 25 to 30 minutes. So the half hour nap. Mm. Um, so that's perfect for doing that. And if you think about it, I can remember talking on radio once saying, if I was to go along to a company and saying, you know, you can get all of these things, you can get an increase in all of the capacities that we've just talked about, um, they would be wanting the, the wonder drug. And all it is is the third, get, let people have a 30-minute nap. Um, <laughs> but if you want to have 
your real creative capacity and if you want to improve complex problem solving and those sorts of things, then you you skip over the half an hour to an hour. That's the dead zone. That's the, the valley of death. Don't go there. And that's because what's happening is if you if you go past half an hour, your brain starts to say to itself, ah, this person is settling in for a long nap. They're going to have, they're going to go into a REM cycle. So it starts to shut down that frontal lobe I talked about. And so if you if you do get woken up between half an hour and an hour, then that's when you feel that horrible groggy feeling in the front of your head, you know, and it's it's when people say, oh, no, I don't nap, I hate it, I wake up and I've got a headache and I feel very disoriented. What tends to happen is they have gone into that middle ground. Um, so you either have your refreshing half an hour, sort of 20 minutes to half an hour, um, or you have your hour to hour and a half. You have your REM cycle sleep, so that's the long nap. Mm. And what happens then is you actually do go into a REM cycle. So if you want the capability for that sort of creativity and problem solving, then that's when you get it. And if you do tests on people, the one of the best ways to actually learn something new and quite complex and to embed it is it's, it's almost a lesson for how we should um, teach <laughs> is to have people come in, have a little nap to clear their inbox, do a complex problem. And then have an hour and a half or an hour or to an hour and a half sleep. Then if you set them the similar sort of complexity of another problem, they will do better. They will do much better than they did with the first complex problem solving process. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, and, and they do better than the people that just come in and sit down and do the first complex problem without having that initial nap as well. So you've got kind of three, you know, three levels of improvement there. This will be a hard sell, I could guess, to corporates or to entrepreneurs. But I get what you're saying. That's does you, you know, the, obviously the science behind it makes that um, make complete sense. So you mentioned about building new brains. So what's the relationship between sleep, the creativity, and building new brain? Right, and and just on your comment. What's interesting is there are some companies that, in fact, embrace it uh, wholeheartedly, and they tend to be the ones we think of as creatives. So I guess everyone's almost heard of the Google Sleep Pods, but there's uh, and, and in there, um, if you haven't had your 20-minute nap in the afternoon, you're actually asked why not, because they, they just see consistently how it improves um, capacity and how it lifts mood and how it, 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 you know, it does a really good thing for their productivity. Um, but a, a number of other com companies are now embracing it, and some countries are much better as well at recognising it. We, we've got a bit to go here um, in Australia in in getting comfortable. We have that kind of <laughs> interesting judgment about you don't sleep in the middle of the day. Um, but to get back to your other uh, question, so what happens when you go into the later cycle of sleep is you even get changes um, in your epigenetic capacity so what you start to get is your um your genes start to target differently in those uh, later hours of sleep and the hormones change in what what's going on with your body and you start to get um epigenetic um, strengths in the areas of memory and learning and also as um that assists that sort of creative new way of of looking at things 
So the body is fascinating in terms of what it starts to target um, it to because what it's done already, if you think about it, it's taken care of kind of the cleaning and the filing. And so now it's saying, okay, now we are going to increase capacity in other areas. So we get epigenetic changes over the cycle, the night cycle of sleep, as to what is targeted as a priority by the body. Oh, okay. Sounds complicated, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that my takeaway is that I need to have good quality sleep. That's my bottom line, I think. Yes, and yes, and you need to give yourself enough time to have those, you know, those cycles. So mm. when people say to um, to me, oh, I, I had sort of six hours or less, it is quite interesting looking at how well uh, they then can deal with sort of the creative aspect. Um, but we've become sleep starved as as a society. Uh, I was stunned in just how much um, I talk about sleep because. As I've said, I, I look at various areas to do with, the, you know, the brain and interaction and, and how your brain works well and building new brain. But I'm constantly surprised um, at the amount of times I talk on radio, then I'll go in afterwards to somewhere or a shop and the first thing people will do is say, oh, yes, how do I do this? How do I sleep well? Or I've got this issue with sleep. Um, and if you think about it, we've got We've got a number of negative aspects coming at us. So one of the things is artificial light. When you look at studies to do with people that live in the country, they actually have less of the insomnia or busy brain type of issues. And that's because of the changes in melatonin and how the brain is stimulated to remain awake and to uh, or to have um, misaligned kind of sleep cycles. So that's one of the things. Um, and another thing, a huge issue for us is technology. So we, we have blue light to do with our good old um, phones and iPads. And we have a, a, a problem or, a, um, I guess, an unserendipitous <laughs> interaction between the fact that at night when you're tired, very often a lot of us have been running around doing a lot of things that we know we need to do and working and cooking. And finally, when you, you've managed to sit down and maybe watch something that you want or just chill out, then what we tend to do very often now is we'll pick up our iPad or we'll pick up our phone and we'll just surf the net or look on eBay and those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So we do that kind of thing. And that also aligns with the time that we're physically tired. And that means that our willpower is low. So one of the funny things we get is even me, I know how willpower works. I know that it's like a muscle and the more you use it and the more that you exercise it, the better you get. And I also know that at night when you're tired, chemically you change. So you have more leptin and you, you know, changes, changes in leptin, changes in um, all sorts of chemicals that would naturally be putting you to sleep or making you eat carbohydrates or making you look on things like screens that you shouldn't. I still do it because I'm the same as anybody. I get... I get tired, my willpower gets low, and I just think, oh, I'll just look at this, or I'll just have a quick snack, or I'll just, um, this is my time. And and so our judgment is actually quite poor <laughs> mm. um, later. And we've also got, if we're using screens close to our faces, we've also got blue light. So there's a few things happening when we interact with, um, with technologies, and we covered some of it on Insight. The television is usually further away from you. So it's not you're not shining blue light directly into your eyes, which you are with the handheld devices. 
Um, so one of the things that's come out now is um, some companies are changing the colors of the screens, and that's good. But, but the other thing that keeps you awake and keeps you interacting with the handheld devices is that they are designed to basically get us hooked. So your, your phone is designed very much like a slot machine, and so are most apps, um, because that's what keeps you looking and keeps you going back. So if um, on the Insight program, the, the young girl that was talking about the fact that she'll lie in bed, um, she might go to bed at, at 11 or midnight, but she's still playing a game on her phone at three in the morning. It doesn't actually matter what color the screen is there, because what's happening there is whenever we hear the ding of our, of our texts or we get a prize on a, a little game, we get a spike of dopamine. So what that does is reward us for interacting with that technology. So we've got a couple, you know, we've got a number of things happening there. We've got that sort of almost addiction through the dopamine cycles, as well as that melatonin disruption to do with light. So again, I guess the takeaway there is don't pick up any of those things. Don't don't do your emails at night or pick up your eBay trails or um, pick up your phone for at least an hour before you want to go to sleep. Um, it's much better to have a hot milk, tuck yourself into bed and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we concur on that one because it is about the, for me, I think it's the, it's almost like the ritual. What's the, what's the nurturing ritual you do the hour before bed? Yes. And if it's apart from technology, whether that's, you know, iPhones, iPads, whatever those devices are, but that it's something that nurtures yourself, it's m much better for you than actually keeping up on Facebook or keeping up with your game. So it's yes. also a choice, isn't it? You have to make those choices. Yes, you're right. Mm. And, mm. and another aspect is when we're keeping up ourselves very busy with those things, the thing that we don't do is we don't allow our brain to go into what's called abstractive mode. So when you're looking on a device, you're tending to be task-based. And it's, it's a problem at work as well as turning off um, when you want to go to sleep. Because what we've got, I'm about to give a, a talk on sort of technology in the workplace. And one of the issues we've got is quite often companies will get sold technologies as increasing productivity, but they don't. They increase busyness. But if you're on tap 24 hours a day and if you're expected to answer emails as they come in and if you're expected to be kind of have your phone, you know, never turned off, then... You can do shallow task work, but you can't do what a lot of people now call deep work. So deep thinking is is almost impossible. And the reason is because of how your how your memory works, how your brain works. So if if you're sitting at your desk, even if you're trying to ignore your emails, if you've got something to do that's that's quite complex and you have to think about it, then you have to go deeply into what you know about that. You, you're, you know, you're into a research mode. And if your if your phone dings on a text, or if you uh, you get a little email alert that bloops up and says Julie emailing, then even if you decide to ignore them, the fascinating thing for me is in doing that, your brain has had to make a priority decision. And what that means is, if you think about it in paper terms, if you're looking at something which takes a lot of thought. Think about it as you've taken all these files out, you've spread them all out over your desk, and you're looking at all the information that's relevant to this, this sort of in, interesting and more complex problem that you're trying to solve. When you hear the ding on your phone or you see the, the reminder come up on the, side, the edge of your screen, 
what your brain then does is it packs all of that information up and it fractionates it across your brain and it puts it all away and it takes out the information it needs to judge the priority of that stimuli that it's just got. And even if you decide, no, I'm not going to answer that right now, then it packs that back up and it has to go back and unpack again and spread back out all of that information that you've had. So it's called cognitive load. You're actually increasing cognitive load quite quite a lot just to decide that that ding is not something you're going to pay attention to. So the thing you've actually got to do is put them off. Don't have the phone dinging at you and don't have the email alert. Just switch them off. Mm. And I don't know how young kids, because I'm in universities as well and I've got a 24 and a 28-year-old, um, and they're pretty good actually, they will switch them off, um, probably because they've got a nagging mum. <laughs> um, but... Um, I don't know how young people do it. Their their phones sort of, you know, messages ding every few minutes. And it's impossible. It makes it almost impossible to get what's called um, a cognitive abstraction, to be able to go into that sort of daydreaming, abstractive, creative mode where your brain is being able to spread out all these different pieces of information to see if they might make a novel connection or what might fit together. That depth of of kind of the aha type of moments, they are usually when you're staring out of a window or when you're walking or when you're not interacting with something which is task-based. And it's because that's that's allowing the brain to play. So that, that daydreaming mode is critical as an adult, as of any age. You need to be able to sit up from a task, look up from a task and just kind of, you know, look out of the window and let your brain let go of all those little details because what it then does is it, is it zooms back out to a big picture and it, it uses the information very differently, really quickly. That's so fascinating because if we think of it uh, the way I would describe it is what I would, uh, some people call it sprints or chunking. You yes. just switch everything else off and you focus purely on one thing at a time. And it's surprising how much, more, and you've explained it now, why it is the way <laughs> it is. But you can get far more done when you take all the distractions, set them aside, and focus on one thing at a time. So that's a fabulous explanation. Thank you, Fiona. (laughs) And what are your tips for living fabulously? Yes. Um, I was thinking about that when we were chatting earlier. Um, And I almost feel like I can't go past, (laughs) uh, you know, what some famous people say. But before we get to quotes, I guess – because of what I know around how we work, whether it's from a, a, a science point of view, an anthropology point of view, a psychology point of view, a, a neural point of view, one of the things that's really clear consistently is is connecting. And and I'm going to spend um, I spend more and more time looking at why that is so valuable and what exactly is the science behind it. And the more I spend time doing that, the more amazing it is. You know, just just to touch someone's hand, um, you when you say hello to someone. I, I just spoke at a um, at a medical technology conference, and I was talking about the power of touch and eye gaze, um, the neurophysiological effect of them on healing, and to watch the practitioners in that um, in that room getting validation of the fact that they know that when they look at someone in the eye and they touch them lightly, or they take their blood pressure or whatever they're doing, that they know they've made a connection. And I'm able to say, well, 
well, this is what's actually happened. The C fibers go through the emotional parts of the brain, and these are the chemicals that start coming up, and the the gaze into their eyes starts these things to happening in your, you know, different kind of um, uh, spindle and mirror neurons, and and you get oscillation of body uh, dynamics, and you get um, dynamic resonance, and you you get this connection, and you start trust building, and you get positivism, and and they uh, you get hugs after those sorts of talks because. Mm-hmm. People, we know it. We know that it's really critical to connect. And and we watch our world more and more being disconnected through being told that we're connecting really well through technology, but it's not the same very often. Um, yes, it's it's got fabulous capacity to allow me to talk to people that I know overseas and to, you know, to, to, to help Riley to right, drive a car. I mean, there's... there's umpteen things we can do with technology but the thing that we also need to safeguard is the the value and the power of human interconnection and it's one of the reasons why we feel happier when we are interacting with people whether we're helping them or just spending time with them sharing something with them um chatting we don't have to be you know massaging touching we don't it's it's the interaction so i think that one of the things that we need to really keep in mind is to to value that, to save, to spend time and to take time and to leave time to interact with others and to give ourselves that time out as well in doing something, as you said, that we like to do to feed our own soul. So we need to, to sort of be kind to ourselves and be kind to others as well and spend time valuing that, that just that time that we were able to do that. Mm. Thank you so much for all that valuable information. It's just, I love how that we've started with brain research and sleep and we've gone through creativity and we've now, you know, it's just to me, the, the underlying theme that we've spoken about there is the interconnectedness of things. It's not one thing or another. It's and, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. That's actually what really got me involved in, um, in complex systems, um, and it's why I got so fascinated around the connections. And when you have people who are sort of complex thinkers or people who just see those connections, they should they should pat themselves on the back because we, it's right. You know, the people that think, oh, that's actually that's also connected to this, and this is also because of that. They're absolutely right. Um, there are lots of different connections around you, kind of. You know, being comfortable with who you are and with the life you lead. There's lots of different aspects to that, and they they work. I think one of the things I was thinking of when you said what for me what is valuable is that kind of Albert Camus um, um, saying of of happiness is the simple harmony between you and the life you lead. And I think that's very much a case of there's so much, so many different aspects to it. But if you if you know who you are and what you want, then you do get them in harmony and you allow yourself the, the time to do that and the permission to do that, then I think that's very much what will make you happy. Fabulous. And you can find Fiona at www.fiona-kerr.com. And my takeaway, I think if I could summarize that it was goes back to something you started with, Fiona, was that for creativity and to build new brain, there were four things. It was to connect with others, to exercise the novelty through learning new things and sleep. So I'm really happy that we've actually managed to cover 
most of those things through the learning. We probably didn't talk about exercise, but that could be another topic. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, another little bit of that is also even what you eat. Um, The gut is the second brain and it's got a million neurons and it makes many of our neurotransmitters. So so what we eat is actually really important as well. (laughs) Yeah, fascinating. Thank you so much, Fiona. It's been wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and you can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Have you heard about Sleep Timber? It's a month to focus on restorative sleep and it's a month packed with so much goodness for you. What will it take for you to take care of yourself? Head to www.sleeptember.com.au to find out about the free events and sign up to join a movement of sleep lovers. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.